0: Welcome to the Richard Blackbee Leadership Podcast, helping people take their leadership to the next level. Brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International.
1: Well, it's always good to be here doing another leadership podcast. Uh, We're so excited that uh, we've got so many folks listening and, and sending in questions and uh, just giving us feedback on all the different yeah. uh, things that we're doing. We've got to... we hope it's stirring
2: up a lot of conversation out there.
1: Yeah, definitely and, and we love hearing from uh, from our listeners as well. Uh, we do have one question um, that was sent in and so let me uh, just read this really quick just for context for those who are listening and uh, we'll hear what you have to say about it, Richard. This person says, a little over a year ago, I began pastoring a church uh, as the elder lead. As one of four elders, we are all equal, air quotes. Uh, but as the only paid elder, I am the face and voice of, of the elders about 90% of the time. He says there's been some strain, um, you know, among the elders because he's the teaching pastor, the teaching elder, and so he's sort of the, the public face of the elders and uh, considered first among equals. He says, "Surely, I'm not the only one in this position. How can one lead well in such a position? While I want to initiate change, I also do not want to outpace my other elders. There are times that I am careful and not so careful, not to ostracize myself from the from the other elders by initiating change that I feel the church needs, but that the elders, all of an older generation, are not ready for. Is this type of leadership different from when someone is clearly the leader?"
2: Yeah, it's a great question, and of course, it's uh, circled around uh, an eldership uh, governance model of a church, so that has some uh, particular uh, issues related to that. Mm -hmm. So you know, we don't want to; we're not trying to uh, put a value on one system of church governance over another. But uh, but in an elder system, the way this uh, person has described it, you've got uh, someone who's paid full-time by the church uh, to be an elder and to do the teaching, preaching kind of ministry uh, at the church Mm full-time. And then you've got a couple of others who obviously are uh, older men in this case. Uh, Either they're retired or they're working in more secular employment, but uh, are also on the elder board with the votes and so on. And so that does create certain tension in the sense that Uh, I've been a pastor of a church where I was paid full time to be at the church every day. And you're giving your full attention to the issues of the church, whereas others might be at work all day in a secular setting. And at the end of the day, now they're having to wrap their minds around whatever's going on in the church. And so uh, they may not be up to speed the way you are, if you're the full time paid person at the church. And uh, if they're all older than you, uh, again, as he said, that, that creates another tension, uh, whereas a younger person, you may be more anxious to create change, and they're not as quick to want to do that. And so if you're in a setting like that, whether you're in an elder setting or you're just uh, in a place where you are in a group of several people all leading, uh, where maybe your voice technically is not any more powerful, any uh, heavier of a vote than the others, how do you lead when you're dependent upon several others who aren't necessarily at the same place you are, mm-hmm. uh, as he describes, or we've kind of talked about before, just the first of, of, uh, of many, uh, or, or others. Um, and I would say uh, th- a couple of things with that. One is, um, that your first role is to be a leader among leaders. Uh, it, it's one thing to lead followers. It's another to lead leaders. And so, mm-hmm uh, before you become impatient with people who aren't, uh, wanting to move as quickly as you do, uh, ask God to help you know how to be a leader of leaders where these others come to respect you and to heed your wisdom and counsel. Uh, you may need to build a track record of success over time where you've guided in several other ways and that's been proven to be successful. And so now when you suggest something else, they're more inclined to listen to you Sometimes the young guy comes in and wants to change things right away and gets frustrated with the old guys who um, aren't eager to do all the new ideas that are coming along. Uh, I'd say take time to become a leader of leaders and help those people to get to the place you are. Uh, they, if you're there full time, you're going to have all day long to think about these issues. Uh, they may have other work to do th- throughout the day, so don't be impatient with them if you've had all day, every day to think about these issues and they're not where you are, give them time, uh, invest in them. Uh, don't, don't uh, try to just circle around them or to manipulate them or overpower them. Uh, and, and realize too, that if you're going to be in that kind of governance model, then that means that uh, you may not be able to change things as quickly. If you're the, the senior pastor, if you're the only staff leader, if you're in a staff led church, then obviously you can move more quickly you just have to come up with the the plan and move forward and perhaps convince the congregation but uh you you you're not part of the beauty sometimes of an elder system is that it's it prevents one person from just charging too too far ahead too quickly it it provides some checks and balances so that you work together in unity and so with that system i i also just encourage people and I would encourage this person: uh, if you signed up to serve in an elder system, then understand that's how it works. You can't just charge ahead. If you want to be the lone leader, then go to a a church that has that system. But the system you're in says you've got to work in some, find some consensus and unity. And so, be good at being a unifier, uh, bringing people together. Uh, learn to dislead with patience. You know, don't don't get too far ahead of where other people are willing to go, but uh, be someone that takes time to invest in relationships where they grow to trust you. They know that they know your heart. Uh, they know your walk with God. Keep sharing what you're hearing God saying, so that they know it's not just you, but it's from God. Yeah. And uh, and 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 to pray together, I find uh, any elder board. If you'll just regularly, sincerely pray with one another, you'll get to hear each other's heart. And uh, trust will come a lot more quickly, and as will unity. And so it's not an easy process, but it's certainly worth the effort. Uh, it's not Definitely. uncommon what uh, this person has described. It, it can describe a number of different scenarios among staffs and teams when you're just one of the team members. But uh, learn to be a person of influence, not because you do all the talking or you dominate or bully people, but you just learn to speak with wisdom and a conviction. Uh, and uh, and love for the rest of your team members, so that in time they just come to trust you. And and I suspect that in time uh, you'll find it easier and easier to lead if you've built those kind of relationships. Yeah,
1: it makes me think of a, a great book called Leading Change. Yeah, <laughs> that, uh, that I think would. Yeah, s- certainly, there's a lot of elements of this that that I I would see that that, you know, that John Cotter really talks about. And and if you haven't read the book, we recommend it. Uh, and if you've been listening to this podcast, you know that that
2: we've recently did a re- review of that book. Yeah, that... and another book we did recently was looking at the team of rivals with uh, Abraham Lincoln. He was the president. He was the senior leader, but he had a cabinet that he of strong, opinionated people that he tried to take with him. And in doing that, he sometimes had to re- rely upon his... Uh, foremost position. But oftentimes he learned to work with very diverse people, different perspectives uh, and egos and everything else. Uh, And there's a skill involved as a leader of working with other strong leaders. And uh, it it could probably behoove uh, this person as well, maybe to read that book and just see how do you work with very strong leaders and yet keep an organization moving forward where it needs to go.
1: Yeah.
0: Twice a year, Blackview Ministries hosts a spiritual leadership coaching workshop in the Atlanta area. The focus of this workshop is learning how to ask the right questions to help move people onto God's agenda. The next workshop is May 6th through 8th and registration is now open. The early bird rate is available until April 1st and space is limited. To find out more and to register, visit blackviewcoaching.org. Links will be in the show notes.
1: Well, Richard... Many people maybe know this. Some some maybe don't. But the Blackabees are known for a study in particular, yeah, um, called "Experiencing God." Mm-hmm. So this may come as a surprise to some, but <laughs> I, I suspect that many listening have probably heard of that. Yeah, uh, that's sort of kind of what put Blackaby the name Blackaby on the map. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we're very excited for this next sort of mini series that we're going to do. Um, on the seven realities of experiencing God. And, and uh, for those who aren't familiar with it, can you kind of encapsulate that for us? And then
2: we'll dive into reality number one. Yeah, I you know, many listeners I'm sure are familiar with experiencing God. Many have probably taken the, the material. It's uh, been described uh, by many as the most life-changing study or book they've ever read. Uh, and that is what my dad is most famous for. He wrote it first in 1990. So it's been out for a while now, and uh, I just felt like as a Blackaby in a podcast, it probably would be good just to take a little bit of time to unpack the essential teachings of Experiencing God, mm-hmm. and, and because this is a leadership uh, podcast, I want to apply it particularly to leaders, uh, whether you're in business or in the church, and so I want you to be familiar with Experiencing God teachings, but also to know how to apply it in your your leadership world and so, if you're familiar with experiencing God, it's it, there's a it was originally written as a as a uh, study book, a workbook that had 12, 12 weeks in it, and but the but the heart of the material is what my dad described as seven realities, and the whole book is basically revolves around these seven realities. You could call them principles, uh, but my dad. Uh, Preferred the word reality, and so what I'd like to do just over the next uh, number of weeks is just unpack those seven realities and especially apply them to leadership. And so we'll just begin uh, today by just looking at reality number one. Yeah. So what's reality number one? And,
1: and well, thanks did... for asking. <laughs>
2: <laughs> reality number one is uh, says this: God is always at work around you. Very simple, uh, and yet. Uh, for many, I would say the most profound of the seven realities for sure, is that God is always at work around you. Now, what, what, uh, a lot of, you know, on a surface level, you could say, well, yeah, of course God's everywhere. He's got stuff going on all the time. But, um, but what a lot of people would admit is that although theologically they believe that God's doing stuff all the time, that they often didn't recognize it themselves where they would say, well, I know God's at work. I'm sure in Africa in different parts of the country and around the world, but I haven't seen anything. Uh, maybe on Sunday morning, sometimes it seems like God's doing something at my church, but all week long at work, uh, I never see the activity of God or I've even talked to pastors who talk like God. They haven't seen God doing anything in their church for a long time. Uh, and so this reality, when you unpack it, uh, becomes uh, life-changing. I'll, I'll just give you a, uh, an example or two of that. It, now, And of course, if you've done Experiencing God, you know that um, it's kind of built off in large part on the story of Moses. Uh, and Moses, at one point, saw himself as liberating the Israelites out of Egypt. He murdered uh, an Egyptian that was oppressing some Hebrews. And because of that, he becomes a fugitive for the next 40 years, he's herding sheep in a wilderness. And you get to Exodus chapter three and it says uh, Moses is in the backside of the desert, which means he's as far as deep into the desolate wilderness as you can go. He's near Mount Sinai. And uh, he uh, has got nothing but sheep around him. He's been doing it for 40 years. So at that point, if you're Moses, you're not looking around to say where is God working today around me. For 40 years he's he's dealt with nothing but sheep. He's as far away from civilization as he can go. He is expecting nothing more than just what you get with a herd of sheep. And then in the midst of all of that, suddenly there's a burning bush. And he realizes that he is on holy ground, that God is right there in the middle of his workplace. It's not on the Sabbath, it's not uh, on a worship time. Uh, it's not when he might expect to hear something from God.
1: Yeah, it's not during the altar call.
2: Yeah. It's uh, in the middle of his work day, a bunch of bleeding sheep and suddenly there's God. And God tells him, I've heard the cries of my people in Egypt. I've got a plan to deliver them. And Moses, I want to use you. Uh, and it absolutely blows Moses away. He never would have expected that. Never would have thought Number one, that God was doing anything. These people have been in bondage for generations, uh, and it seemed as if nothing was happening. There was no indication that uh, that these Hebrews were anywhere close to being delivered at that point. Uh, And where Moses was working would have been the least likely place to ever think God would do anything of significance. And it's in the life of someone who's a murderer. Moses is a murderer. He's a fugitive. So he would never, ever think that God would be doing anything through him. But then suddenly there's God saying, I'm right here and I'm I'm at work. Take your sandals off. This very workplace where you are is actually holy ground. And, uh, and that truth has revolutionized people in many, many different settings. Mm-hmm. I remember reading a story about a church that was uh, dying. I think this church was in California. I read this story a number of years ago. And uh, they had dwindled down just to a handful of people. They couldn't really afford to pay their uh, utilities anymore, and they decided that they were going to have to disband, that the community had transitioned. It would, it, at one time had been a relatively respectable community, but now there's a lot of crime and uh, brokenness and a lot of different uh, demographic changes taking place. And so this handful of people decided... Let's just do one last Bible study together, kind of a farewell tour. We'll One last time just to share together and study the Bible together, and then we'll disband the church. We'll sell the property. Well, they decided to do Experiencing God. It was a new study then, and they'd heard some good things about it. So this small group of people begin studying Experiencing God. They get to this first reality. God is always at work around you. Well, they kind of laughed at that, and they said, Well, the author of this book has never been to our community. He's <laughs> never seen our church. This church has been in decline for years. God's not done anything in our church in recent memory. Certainly looking at our community, it's filled with drugs and violence and prostitution. Uh, there's there's just no evidence of God doing anything here. But in, in uh, the study, it says, ask God to open your spiritual eyes so that you can see, because God could be right there in front of you. But if you don't have spiritual eyes to see, you won't recognize what God's doing. And so it challenges people as you go out into work this week, into your community, ask God to open your spiritual eyes so you don't miss the activity of God. Well, one person uh, was uh, living in an apartment building. And as they were uh, going off to work one day, the apartment manager saw that person and stopped them and said, you, you go to a church, don't you? They said, uh, we, w- I wonder if you could help us. She said, we've got all these kids who live in this apartment block, and they've got no recreation, nothing to do, nowhere to play. Uh, Would your church be at all interested in perhaps uh, doing something for these kids after school so they stay out of trouble? Well, this person said to the uh, apartment manager, uh, well, uh, she said, our church is getting ready to to close down, but uh, we'll be open for a few more weeks anyway till we finish this study. I'll talk to the other members and see if anyone is open to doing that. Well, she goes back and shares with their Bible study and they, some of them said, well, we, we asked God to show us where he's working and maybe this is God. Let's at least see if we can't pull something together for a couple of weeks. So they come up and, uh, there's a little community room they can meet in with the kids and, uh, they start interacting with the kids and teaching them some Bible stories, playing a few games. And the kids are really responsive. They're, they just need some love from some adults and, uh, and they're finding it with these Christians and this, from this church, and. Uh, So while they're meeting with the kids, this other woman comes up. She's a single mom and she's been uh, trying to care for her kids, but she's got some needs and can't afford groceries and wants to know if these Christians can help in any way. And so they begin to reach out to this woman and try to provide some resources for her. Well, uh, another woman, she's a prostitute in the area and she comes by and she's broken. She feels worthless and these, but she sees the love that these adults are giving to the kids, and she's just attracted to that. And uh, the adults start reaching out to her and just trying to share the love of Christ with her. Uh, a drug addict is pulled into the orbit of this ministry. And eventually there's all kinds of ministries going on. Uh, all kinds of broken people are just dr- drawn like moths to a flame with this uh, light that the church is offering. Well, by the time the study comes to an end, the church is filling up with people who want to come and meet these christian people they've become friends they're they're, they're hungry to hear more about this god who loves them and uh, the church has started several different ministries to single moms and to uh, to drug addicts and to people on the street to kids and uh when it was time now to close the church as they'd planned the members said well how can we shut down now there's so many things god's doing <laughs> yeah and uh what they realized was well god was always at work in this community it's just that the church had not noticed it. You know, sometimes okay. what the church does is it says, well, here's the activities we've scheduled at our, at our church building and no one is coming. So I guess God's not doing anything, but instead of saying, well, God, here's where we expect you to work. Uh, a servant of God says, well, let's open our eyes and see where God has chosen to work. And then let's adjust ourselves so that we can join him. Same as is, is, is true in the workplace. i remember speaking at a church one time, uh, a series of meetings from Sunday through Wednesday. And uh, I made, I, I was teaching this truth and I said, now God is at work all around you. So I said, when you go to work on, on Monday morning, tomorrow morning, uh, keep your spiritual eyes open to see where God's at work. Well, uh, there was a guy named Bob there who had been at, working at the same, uh, factory for almost 20 years. And, uh, in all that time, he had never seen God do anything. Uh, and so when he heard me say that that night, he just kind of laughed to himself and said, well, that speaker, that's easy for him to say, but he's never been to my workplace. And in fact, Bob had often felt oppressed there because of the non-Christian atmosphere that was hostile to his faith. There was a lot of profanity and, and just coarse uh, humor and joking and things that just really oppressed his uh, Christian values. So he goes to work the next day and he, prays and says, "Well, God, if you're at work here in my workplace, you're going to have to show me because I haven't seen it after working here for a long time." Well, at lunchtime he goes into the lunchroom and he's sitting with some friends and they're all talking about sports and weather and the same things they always talk about over the lunch hour. And he notices that there's a man sitting by himself a couple of tables away uh, all alone. And he Bob just feels as if God says, "Well, listen, if all these years you've never see me at work, why don't you change things up? Why don't you maybe sit at a different place or with different people than you normally do? So he picks up his lunch, moves over two tables, sits down with this man who's sitting by himself, and he just looks at the man, he doesn't know him very well, but he says, what's going on with you? And to Bob's amazement, this man almost immediately begins to open up to him and says, it's perhaps the worst day of my life. And Bob asks, well, why, what's going on? And uh, this man, apparently, his marriage had been just completely falling apart, and day after day, when he would leave for work, he would be shouting and yelling at his wife, and she'd be screaming at him, and when he would come home, they'd have these terrible fights. and uh, that morning had been the worst fight yet, and as he was leaving, he was so furious he just yelled at his wife and said, "When I get home i'm I'm, I'm packing up and leaving. I, I'm not going to spend one more night in the same house as you." Well, all day, this man has been just fretting about this, uh, all morning while he's been at work, he realizes that when he gets home at the end of the day, he's, his marriage has come to an end and, uh, he's got a young boy and he is going to have to tell his young boy that daddy's not going to be living in the same house as you anymore. And it just breaks his heart. And so at lunchtime, he's just, his mind is racing. How do I, how do I pack up my bags without my son? weeping and crying and clinging to my ankle and begging me not to leave. And he's just broken to think what it's going to take. And all of a sudden here's Bob saying, so how's it going with you today? And without even being able to restrain himself, he just starts spewing out all the things, the worries and the concerns that he has. And Bob is about to have a heart attack. Bob's (laughs) like, wait a minute, God, I, this is too much. This is this is way beyond uh, what I'm capable of doing. I I'm I'm not a counselor. I'm not a, a minister. And so all I know to do is to say, well, listen. Uh, there's a guy that's been speaking at my church this week, and he's talking about a lot of this stuff. And I think it would really encourage you. I wonder if you'd be willing just to come with me, uh, and hear what uh, this guy has to say tonight at my church. Uh, and the guy agrees to come, but then Bob thinks, well. Uh, the service isn't until seven. We get off work at four thirty. I don't want this guy to go home and leave his family before he comes with me to church. So <laughs> yeah. he says, uh, well, listen, why don't I take you out for lunch or dinner tonight? He says, you sounds like you've, uh, you've had been under a lot of stress. I'd be glad to buy you dinner. Just let me, let me take you to my church and, uh, and kind of help you out. And this guy doesn't really want to go home, uh, cause he doesn't want to have to Tell his son he's leaving him, and so he he agrees to go for dinner and then go to church. And a lot of the reason he's going to church is just he's trying to delay going home right. until after his son is asleep in bed. And so he goes to church that night, and the whole time Bob is praying. God just help this man become a Christian and uh, get his life turned around. And and uh, they get to the end of the service. There's an altar call. Bob is just praying for God to just do a work in this man's life, but the man doesn't make a decision, doesn't leave his seat. And so the service is over. Bob drives the man back to the uh, church, the uh, company parking lot to get his car. And as the man is getting ready to leave uh, the car, Bob's desperate. He knows as soon as this guy gets out, he's going to go home and another marriage will be over. Another uh, child will be fatherless in his home. and uh, And so Bob says, listen, before you go, let me just ask you, was there anything that you heard tonight that interested you, that, that was attractive to you. And the man says, everything I heard tonight I wish was in my life. My life's a mess. My 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 marriage, my family, everything's a disaster. I need God to help me. And Bob said, well, well, well why didn't you go forward? Why didn't you make a decision tonight? And uh, the man just said, well, I, I was a visitor. I didn't know if I could do that. I, I I'm not a part of your church. And Bob is just pulling his hair out at this point. He just said, well, well, listen, I I can help you to do that. If you if you want to become a Christian, I can tell you what to pray. And so there in his car, he led this man to become a Christian. And then the man said, Bob, I, I just can't thank you enough for what you've done for me. But he said, I've got to go. He said, uh, my wife needs to meet her new husband. Hmm. And so he got out of the car and went off. Well, Bob was so excited that he called his pastor that night and just, just effusive. So excited. And he told his pastor, he said, I've been, go- I've been working at that place for almost 20 years. I didn't think God even knew the address of my workplace. And he said, the first day that I actually got serious and said, God, if you're at work at my workplace, open my eyes so I can see it. Hmm. He said, not only did God put me next to a man that whose marriage was falling apart, whose home was about to collapse, but he said he, he led someone to become a Christian. And not just after one day, he said. And then the, the man said something that was just very devastating. He said, it just dawns on me that all these years I've worked here, God's been at work the whole time. I just didn't see him. I just, wow. no one helped me to recognize him. And uh, I've, I've heard those stories over and over and over again, where the, the reality, if, if you don't see God at work where you are, it doesn't mean that he's not working there. It just means you have not had the spiritual eyes to see. That's why Jesus at times would say, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. He that has eyes to see, let him see. Open yeah. your eyes, he would say. And he would say, because I'm at work all around you. Uh, and you don't want to miss it. And what my dad taught often in experiencing God, he would say, is that Christians are often radically self-centered. We, all of our viewpoint is centered around us. What we see, what's going on in our world, but we're very disoriented to god we we may claim to believe in God, but we don't know how to recognize when God's even on the premises and uh becoming god oriented means that we start having the spiritual eyes to recognize the activity of god and as as my dad unpacks an experience in God, he would say there's certain things that only God can do, so like for instance, nobody can come to God unless the spirit of God draws them and so when you see someone that begins to show an interest in the things of God, they start asking questions about the Bible. They start all of a sudden wanting to attend church and just get some answers. Well, uh, experiencing God would teach, that's, that's God doing that. You, mm-hmm. People don't naturally just seek after God. It, if they are seeking after God, it's because God's drawing them. And so when you see that, you recognize right away, well, that's something that God must be doing. I think that's essentially the story of Zacchaeus. You know Jesus is walking through a busy city, he's trying to make his way to Jerusalem, he's got a a heavy walk ahead of him, there's crowds of people all shouting out, wanting his attention, and suddenly Jesus sees one man, a tax collector, who's climbed up in a tree, and basically grown men didn't do that, that was humiliating, to climb a tree, only little boys did that, and so when Jesus sees, here's a man who's run ahead of the crowd, climbed up in a tree, just so he can see Jesus, Jesus immediately realizes the Spirit of God is working in that man's life. He's drawing him uh, to to salvation. And Jesus immediately says, hurry down from here. I must spend time with you today. Because Jesus always was a master at recognizing when his father was working in someone's life. So I I would just say this first reality uh, to our listeners. When when you go to work, when you're leading, uh, God is at work in the people you work with in your direct reports, in your customers, in your clients. Uh, God is at work all around you. The person working at the front desk with the security people at the front door, uh, God's at work in all those folks. You as a Christian leader need to become an expert at recognizing what God's up to. On one day, it might be the receptionist, and you just feel an impression that you needed to spend a little extra time talking with them that morning, asking what's going on or how you could pray for them. Might be a security person in the parking lot that just makes a comment that just lets you know something's going on with this person mm-hmm. today. Might be uh, the person's waiting on you at the restaurant who makes a comment, and uh, you just recognize suddenly the spirit of God prompts you to say, "I'm working right there. Uh, join me. In what I'm doing today." But God could be working so many different people's lives. It could be your own children. Sometimes. You can go all day long and say, well, I didn't really see God at work anywhere. And then you walk in the door and there's your teenage son. And he says something that immediately the Spirit of God says, here's where I've been working today. Hmm. Uh, today, this is where you need to focus. And so it, it can change from day to day. People are, at times aren't in a place that they're ready for what God wants to do. But, but you just keep your eyes peeled for those people that are ready. The says who are up in the tree and right now they're ready for an encounter with God. And if you'll keep those spiritual eyes open as you go out into the day, you'll be amazed at how often you, you begin seeing the activity of God around you. And that's why I always encourage people to take a moment each morning to pray so that you, you get your spiritual eyes and ears alert and tuned in to God's frequency. Uh, because if you sometimes we're racing off into the day and we're so distracted that we really aren't able to focus in and identify the activity of God. But uh, so that's why you want to start in the morning and say, "God, open my eyes, open my ears, help me to not miss anything that You're doing around me today." And uh, when you're when you're in that position, then go out in the day, and you're in a great position uh, to not miss what God's doing around you that day.
1: Well, it's exciting stuff, and uh, we're we're just excited to to walk through these seven realities over yeah. the next uh, few podcasts. Uh, we'll still insert some some book reviews and some leadership profiles here and there but uh we're, we're just excited to kind of break down these seven realities and yeah and, and, and if you have it. a book
2: uh you might want to uh, just go ahead and pull it out and review it a little bit before the yeah. next one and uh, might help just refreshing it for you uh, if you've never done it before you can get a copy of the book from our website or from amazon other places but yeah. uh it's a Christian classic that's been used by God to change many, many lives, mm-hmm. and uh, we just feel like that'd be uh, certainly an important thing to at least introduce to our podcast listeners as well. Absolutely.
0: Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, review us on Apple Podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. If you have questions or comments, please email us at podcast at